Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. We ask that you'd speak to us. May we hear from your word. And may it stir within us a call to respond, to live a certain way, and to follow you and to follow your son. We ask this all in his name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Fall's my favorite season. So it's great that it's finally here. I love the cool, crisp weather. I love the reason to drink more coffee. I drink coffee all year, so it's not like I just drink coffee in the fall. But you also you get nice hot apple cider. There's great fall drinks at coffee shops. There's harvest parties. There's the World Series. Football starts again. And then there's the crops that are ripening and ready for the harvest. The kids love, love this time of year. They love to see the combines around. They love to watch and uh, see the grain trucks and see the tractors, especially our son Abraham. He gets really excited about seeing that. And the harvest is just, it's an exciting time of year. In the Bible, even though we are preparing right now for the grain harvest, and for some of you that means you're working pretty hard or you're getting ready to, the Bible talks about another harvest too. It doesn't just talk about the harvest of the grain and the fruit every year. There's also the harvest. That's an important moment in human history. Now the Bible uses the term harvest and he uses it as a metaphor to talk about something that's happening that we all need to be ready for and that we all need to anticipate. And this is the moment of judgment. As we go through Revelation, we can't avoid talking about judgment. Now last week we got to take a break from judgment because we had a one week break as we talked about something different. But now we return to this topic of judgment for Revelation. But with the break last week we have clarity when we come back to the conversation of judgment. Which is so important in a world where judgment is not always a good thing. In a world where judgment has sometimes been used negatively in the lives of Christians to help them or to encourage them to live a certain way or to not do certain things. So we need to have a, a clear view of judgment. And with the new characters that we met last week in Revelation, the dragon and the dragon's beasts, we have some ways of looking about judgment. And remember last week we talked about the, the dragon, but we said he's the great counterfeiter. And that's going to be an important thing to see this week. So if you want to open up to Revelation chapter 14... And if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can open to there. Or if you're feeling comfortable with the Pew Bibles, but we also will have it on the screen. In Revelation chapter 14. And we're going to take a look at this to together. And we're going to take a look at how this scene between the dragon and the God, people of God continues to unfold. But what we're going to see is that judgment and justice await the counterfeiter. Remember, that's the dragon, is the counterfeiter and his followers. So let's take a look now at chapter 14. So before we look at this, just so we can ground ourselves, Revelation 16 through 11, those are a section where John talks about two seven sets of judgment. The seven seals and the seven trumpets. 
And he says that these are sections of judgment. And in between there, he talks about the people of God being the answer to judgment. He talks about the people of God being a witness to judgment to call people out of the world. So God's answer to judgment, for one, is that I want to call people out of rejection and rebellion and to return to me. And then his answer is also, I've created a people to shelter them from the evils of the world and to restore order. So that's the situation that we fall into. And then last week, 12 and 13, I said we talked about the dragon and his two beasts and how they're actually, the dragon is an image for Satan and the two beasts are his adversaries in the world that lead us into rebellion. And they, they do that through trying to get counterfeit worship and get us to worship the dragon instead of worshiping the lamb, Jesus, in the book of Revelation. So now we get to see the response in chapter 14 to the dragon and his beasts. So this is how this response starts. 14.1 Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud... Gavin? right. A loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who, are not def- who do not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as fir- first fruits to God. And the lamb, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So this is the response. Now John intentionally puts this after his discussion of the dragon and his beasts. Because remember, we talk about revelation and it's a behind the scenes look at reality. So we're seeing what's going on behind the scenes. The dragon works through culture and through the world and through ideas to try to fake and offer counterfeit presentations of what we deserve and need in life. What we really need is to be reunited with God and to serve and follow Jesus. That's what we need. But the counterfeiter offers different alternatives, the way of the world. And it's as numerous as we can count of different things. And the counterfeiter is trying to get us to follow the way of the world instead of the way of Jesus. Because then we worship these things and we worship him instead of the true God. Now the response to that is we see that Jesus, the lamb who stands on Mount Zion, an image from the Old Testament about the mountain of God, that Jesus is the one true person really worthy of worship. And what we see in this passage is him gathering his army in response to the dragon's rebellion. He gathers his army. So that's what this reference is to. He's gathering people who are going to fight. That's why it talks about them having never defiled themselves with women. It's like, what's this all about? That's talking about in the Old Testament, there's a concept of holy war. So if Israel was going to war, there was a time where you prepared yourself. And that was part of the preparation. So this is the image we're being given. That Jesus is preparing his army for battle. Now, what is the battle they're preparing for? 
It's the final battle of the day of the Lord. These images from the Old Testament prophets, like the book of Joel, if you read the book of Joel, it's about the final day of the Lord where justice will come on those who rebel against God. So the dragon is leading the rebellion and Jesus is preparing for his final battle. So the dragon wants to be the true ruler of the world. But John quickly reminds us that even though the dragon is the one trying to gather followers, that Jesus alone deserves those followers. And that Jesus will not stand by forever while the dragon, Satan, tries to gather these followers. He will respond. So how is this response brought about? Continuing with verse 6, this is how it goes. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and I had, had the eternal, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So this is the first response. Even though he's gathering his army, Jesus first sends an angel to proclaim the gospel. The good news that Jesus is the ruler of the world and we're called to follow him. He is the Jewish Messiah. Return from our rebellion and give our allegiance back to God, the one who made us. The dragon wants us to think he's the creator. He's the one who deserves our allegiance. And and Jesus says, no, you're supposed to follow me. So he has that announced. So even at the moment of judgment, what we need to see clearly is that God is more interested in people returning to him and being faithful than he is in, in bringing judgment upon people because of their rebellion. Now continuing with verse 8, this is what we also learn. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Now, I've been leading up to this point, and next week, there's, next week and the week after, there's more about this idea of Babylon. But Babylon in the Bible is, yes, Babylon is an actual nation that was problematic for Israel in the Old Testament. But also, Babylon is the way that the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, has come to talk about the rebellion against God. So chapter 11 of Genesis, now we talk about the Tower of Babel, because Babel goes better with the whole idea that people babble in languages and they don't understand each other. It's an English wordplay, but it masks the actual word, which is Babylon. So in chapter 11, what is it that humans are doing? They're rebelling against God and they say, look at us, we are so great, we can make a tower to reach into the heavens like God. We can become like God ourselves. So what does Babylon actually represent? It represents the human rebellion against God where we say we alone are our own gods. We don't need God. We are God. And that's what the dragon wants us to do. To believe that we can rule our own lives and that we can make decisions about life. That's what the dragon tries to get us to do. Every single thing that pulls us away from the way of Jesus, in the end, is about ourselves. It's about making ourselves better. It's about looking better. It's about having more money. It's about having power. It's about having notoriety. 
Just think about the different ways that we get pulled away. And Babylon is the ultimate representation of humans together rebelling against God. And who is the king of Babylon? Well, it's the dragon. It's the way of the world. And Babylon leads all the other nations astray. So every nation that is following Babylon is pulling away people from the way of Jesus. But what this angel says is he says, look, Babylon has fallen. And the, the, the fall of Babylon in Revelation is narrated in a couple chapters. But what this is saying is the way of Babylon has been defeated by Jesus and his death and resurrection. And the Lamb is calling us back to following the way of Jesus. And then John continues, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receive its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patience, patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, write on this, or write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest for their labor. For their deeds will follow them. So I realized last week when I listened to the sermon that I did not completely explain the mark of the beast. I started to and then I got distracted. So the mark of the beast, 666, I said that uh, Nero, or uh, Emperor Nero, I think is the word. I talked about Nero and then I went on to talk about Nero more. And I forgot to come back. Because what I started to say was in, in growth Greek and Hebrew... Their languages, their letters are also numbers. So every Greek and Hebrew word, every Greek and Hebrew letter has a number associated with it. They don't have different numbers than, than letters like we do. So what that means in Greek and in Hebrew is that every word adds up to a number. So in the previous chapter, what John says is the number of the beast is 666. And then he says, where does he say it? He says, let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And then he says the number is 666. So if you take Emperor Nero and you, and you take that Greek word and you put it into Hebrew or technically Aramaic letters, which... Jewish people were Aramaic. All the time they would just take a Jewish letter or a Greek word and put it in Hebrew letters. Just like we take Greek words and put them in English letters all the time. It's called transliteration. It means you just take the sound from that language and you render the sound in your language. It's the same word. It's not an English word. It's just in a different language. So if you take... Emperor Nero from Greek and put it in Hebrew and then add it together, it's 666. And then there is another variation of this that I can't quite remember. Um, but sometimes you can take that name and it, it comes up to 616, which is a textual variant here. 
which means that uh, the way that they started calculating the name is they think that what John is referring to is Emperor Nero. And what I said last week was that Nero is the first emperor that really tried to get people to worship him while he was alive. He was uh, an emperor who was basically killed by people who didn't like him, but there was this legend that he would come back to life and that he would seek vengeance on his followers. And so that second beast, in the, or the, the beast is talked about as someone who has a, a fatal wound but has lived. So we see that how Nero was kind of this parody of Jesus and people worried that he would come back. So anyway, that's what the Mark of the Beast is about. And it's referenced again in this passage. Because remember the Mark of the Beast is participating in emperor worship. And participating in the Roman cult. Because it means that you're able to participate in economics. Because in the first century, if you wanted to be able to practice economics. If you wanted to be a blacksmith in the blacksmith guild. You had to participate in the emperor cult and worship the emperor in order to be accepted in society, to these churches that John's writing. So now, when we fast forward to chapter 14, what we see is this claim that the mark of the beast, you can go back, Gavin, we're not quite there yet. The mark of the beast is a call for accepting and following the way of Babylon. And participating in their systems to gain wealth and power. And participating in their systems as a member and saying that this is good for my advantage. And what it all comes down to is that you're worshiping the dragon through participating in the systems that he set up to bring oppression and violence to the world. But those who follow the beast and the dragon will eventually find judgment. And this passage has some of those words that we read about and, and traditionally get attributed to hell, about torment and suffering. But all I'll say about that is remember that Revelation is apocalyptic language and literature, which means that it's graphic and metaphorical. So we don't exactly know what it looks like in rebellion, but what's important is that you don't want to be in rebellion. You don't want to be a follower of the beast. You don't want to have given your life to his system. You want to be a follower of the lamb. Because judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. And even though the counterfeiter wants us to follow him and to buy into this false sense of life he's promised through the way of Babylon and through the way of the world, Judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. We're called to follow the way of Jesus. And at the end, John recognizes that might mean death and oppression. But he says, for those who are oppressed. He says, blessed are those who die for the Lord. And they will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. Because they remain faithful. And that might mean in the first century that you die, but you die faithful. And eventually justice and judgment will come because they await the counterfeiter and his followers. So this is the situation, and this is John's response to the dragon and to the Roman system that they lived in that was so oppressive to Christians or Christians that had a compromise in order to participate in. 
This is John's answer. He says, look, judgment and justice await the counterfeiter. Rome, the emperor, the way of the dragon, the way of Babylon. Justice and judgment await these and their followers. So just remain faithful and you will receive justice. So what does this look like? Continue with 14. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap is come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he took, two, or he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who was seated, or who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress out of the city. And blood flowed out of the press, rising up as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 100 or 1,600 stadia. So this is a graphic image and a metaphor of the harvest. The harvest I referenced earlier. This is all Old Testament imagery. And then Jesus grabs it again. Remember, he talks about the harvest, the day of harvest, when all people will be harvested. And he talks about how you have to let the good crop grow with the bad. And they will, at the end of the harvest, be separated out. These are images of judgment. Judgment isn't always a bad thing. If you have lived a life worthy of the way of Jesus and followed faithfully your commitment to being a follower of Jesus, your judgment, you'll be vindicated and you will say, you'll be told that was a good and faithful life following and living for me. That's judgment, that's good. But for those who reject the way of Jesus, they will be given what they reject. They'll be honored in their choice to not follow the way of Jesus. And the way that that's talked about here is then a wine press receiving wrath. And again, these are supposed to be metaphorical images. We don't know what that means. I'm not trying to say that's not going to happen. But we don't know exactly what it looks like. But the point is you do not want to be in rebellion. Because judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. And the day of harvest is coming. The day of the Lord when judgment will come upon all people. We don't know when it will happen. But the urgency is don't wait to find out. Respond now. Return to the Lamb. Follow Jesus. Because judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. And we know the final destination of the dragon and his beasts in the way of Babylon. It's judgment for rebellion against God. And then what John goes on to describe, and we're not going to read these sections in chapter 15 and 16. But I encourage you if you want to read those this week. He goes on to then list seven more judgments. And these are bowls of judgment dumped out on the earth. Now, the first two sections, I was intentional to tell us to see judgment as continual and ongoing since the beginning of rebellion. Because if we look at the Old Testament, we see lots of judgment throughout. It's not just future looking. 
But these final bowl judgments are clearly talking about a future time when the day of the Lord comes. But these judgments are about clearing away the rebellion so that God can redeem and restore creation. In order to bring peace out of chaos, the chaos needs to be removed. And that's what these final judgments are about. And the people who rebel against God, if they're not going to be a part of living the way of Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, then they aren't going to be a part of it. They need to be removed so that redemption and reconciliation can come. And that's what Revelation looks at. And that's more the focus of these next couple chapters that we're about to look at next week. But remember, with Revelation, we get a glimpse behind the scenes. And after we saw this character, the dragon and his beasts, that are trying to lead us away from the way of Jesus, with a counterfeit alternative to the way of God, what we see now is that they are the targets of judgment because they are the ones leading people away from God. And judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. So judgment will come. It will be completed at Jesus' return. When the people of the world are harvested or whenever they are brought to account. That way that the new creation can be brought to the world. So each day we have a choice. And this is what Revelation is about. It's about a choice. Each day we have to choose. Are we going to follow the dragon and live in the way of Babylon? Or are we going to follow the Lamb and live the way of Jesus and bring the kingdom of God to the world? And we know where the story ends. Revelation is about the end partly. It's about everything from the beginning to the end. And it's a behind-the-scenes glimpse. We know what happens with the dragon and his followers. Judgment and justice await the counterfeiter and his followers. So now we just have to act. Will we? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we've been looking at this book of Revelation that's so difficult to parse out and understand. It's so difficult to sift through the images. That's so steeped in our cultural understanding of this book for the last 150 years in our country that stemmed multi-millions of dollars of book sales and created this whole movement of ways of thinking. And Lord, can we begin to put some of that aside long enough to see that underneath some of those readings of Revelation is this very clear message that the ways of Satan depicted by the dragon and the beasts, are actively trying to gather and lie to us and present to us a false gospel, a counterfeit gospel, a parody of the true gospel and the true way of God. And that we are being called to discern and repent and follow the way of Jesus and live and follow the slain lamb. And this week, as we see this discussion of judgment come back, the discomfort that might bring us, may we see that you've done all you can to prepare and promote and call to people of the world 
to abandon the dragon in Babylon and to return to Jesus. And may we be active agents in calling the world back to follow the way of Jesus. May we discern the ways that the dragon tries to deceive us. And may we learn to live after your son. And we ask this all in his name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.